Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, so today, today we have homemade organic apple turnovers. Is that what they're called, apple dumplings? We got homemade, all organic, super high quality, um, G, uh, what are they, not GI Joes, what are they called? Sloppy Joes. Sloppy Joes and buns, those are really good. We have some kind of tortellini, homemade tortellini soup, which is delicious. And uh, what else we got over there? Zucchini bread, homemade, all organic. And uh, of course, we have chips and onion dip, which you can't go wrong with that. The always present fried chicken, which I love. I like legs, by the way, legs and wings. I don't know why. I like I like the white meat, the breast meat, but it's just for whatever reason, since the crash, I can't eat it too well, but I'm a mess anyway. Well, we're glad to have you. We're also glad to have folks in chat. Thank you for joining us. Okay, so really quick, next week, for those of you in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, and even some folks from New York, um, we will be in Middletown next week. The Middletown location will be in next week. So just bear that in mind. So next week we will be in the Middletown location. So just remember that. And uh, we'll also be live on the radio, which you, you can always tune in, but we'd love to have you there live. Uh, the next thing is we want to pray a special prayer. I want you guys to write this name down. I don't expect you to spell it right, but the Schloniker family, Pastor Bill Schloniker, his dear wife, um, surgery went wrong. She had a major problem develop when they were on vacation at the beach, uh, and it went downhill real fast. She went, had surgery. Uh, during surgery, uh, I believe an artery or something got nicked, and, and she passed away. It's absolutely crushing. Uh, what a nice lady. Mrs. Schloniker is a super nice lady. And Pastor Bill, great, great guy. He's so great to uh, the Center for Self-Governance opening up Bible Fellowship Church. So I'm sure that the funeral will be this week, and I, of course, will be there um, praying for them and, and cheering them on. We know that she's gotten, she's in her reward. She's in heaven now. And um, there's a very high likelihood that the problem that she had was liver cancer, advanced stage liver cancer, because of her symptoms. So uh, God may well have preserved her and preserved suffering and, and all of that. But God bless them for their faith. And um, so we'll be there. Um, we'll be there to support them. Okay, so a couple things. Uh, one, you need to understand that, uh, welcome to our visitor here. We're glad to have you. You need to understand that sometimes I have to kind of go with what God tells me. And so up until last night, I had a whole different sermon 
prepared. So if we can get to that sermon, great. But I was very moved by something that happened yesterday, and I just decided that to let let God kind of work out however He wanted to make that. And and uh, um, my family can testify that I was in a big scramble last night changing everything around. Not that I haven't done that before. Um, I did have an occasion. I used to preach at this one place, and uh, there was an audience full of people, and the sound guys ready to go, and and I'm sitting there. Uh, and everything's dark. The music is going on because they have professional musicians and everything. Music is going on. It's about four or five minutes before I'm supposed to preach. And all of a sudden, God, clear as, just clear as anything, said, and I had a 45-minute sermon with, you know, technology and all that stuff. He said, nope, you're not going to preach about that. You're going to preach about this. And I said, but I don't have notes. And he said, well, you better get to writing. So I had a little piece of paper, and I just scribbled out just a few basic bullet points and then preached for an hour and ten minutes. So I don't know. God does weird things if you trust him. I just I really believe that. So if we can get to this, the Daniel's protector, if we can't get to it, then I promise I will do it next week or I'll do a special message this week. Speaking of this week, wow. Uh, Bill Federer will be on the show again this Wednesday, and I'm so excited. You guys, who knows who Bill Federer is? He's just amazing. Been on the show before. He has American Minute. If you Google William or Bill Federer, He's all over the Internet. He's absolutely astounding. Super, super good guy. Uh, brilliant, brilliant man. And I have no idea what we're going to talk about. None whatsoever. I just say, hey, would you like to be on the show? And he goes, sure. And so we'll figure out the what we're going to talk about. And then in the coming weeks, you're going to be hearing from my buddy Brad Stein, God's comic. Um, we He's working on a really cool project, and uh, he really couldn't even tell me. He would have said, I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. But more than likely, I'd end up killing him first. And it's just not a good way to start our beautiful friendship. So anyway, so I'm excited to tell you that. So the Daniel thing, let me just whet your appetite a little bit. Daniel needed the kind of protection that could only come from God. And the question is, have you ever needed this kind of protection? Sure, we have. Everybody has, if, we, if we're honest about it. Have you ever needed divine intervention? Have you ever needed divine Intervention, not intervention from somewhere or something else, but from God and only from God. You needed him to inter- intervene in a big way. I can assure you I have. April 12, 2012 at 6.18 p.m., I needed God to intervene. You ever see how a parent, you know, you have to slam on the brakes, you're driving, right? Remember in, I don't know how many people remember this. Everybody remember this in this room. Well, one of them won't remember. Two of them won't remember. But you remember when you slam on the brakes and you stick your arm out? Right as a parent, because you think you're going to stop the kid and the, you know, it used to be you could put the shot. Everybody wrote up front if you could shotgun. There weren't airbags, there weren't seatbelts, any of that mess. And so you thought your arm would actually stop. You just slam on the brake for something. Well, you couldn't really stop the person. It's just a matter of physics. Sorry to tell you, but it felt good to do that. You felt like that was protection, and you kind of felt good about it. You felt like, oh, dad or mom really loves me, and they don't want me to go flying through the windshield, or take a bite out of the dash, or get the interior all bloody. So, uh, but but I needed that on, on uh, April 12, 2012 at 6.18 p.m. That's when I was involved in a fatal car crash. 92 miles per hour versus 51 miles per hour head on. It went from 51 to zero in seven feet. It was an unsustainable deceleration. The deceleration trauma alone, the, the, uh, the, the fatal accident uh, investigation team, GMC, all these different uh, engineers said it is impossible for you to survive. God reached his hand out, and he stopped me to the extent possible. Now, was I seriously hurt? Absolutely. But the bottom line is, is I needed divine intervention. Nothing else would 
would do, and he did. So I'm going to preach about, if we get to it tonight, great, uh, seven things to remember about Daniel and God that directly impact you. So Wednesday at 5, thir- or Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday at 4, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you all need to listen. Um, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. How many listened last week? Uh, Dr. Stephen Turley and Dave Perkins, my good friend Dave Perkins. My goodness, Dave Perkins ought to write a book. In fact, if you're on Facebook and you're friends with him, you might send him a note saying the Ninja Pastor says you might ought to write a book. He's written real tired of me sending thousands of people to his inbox to say write a book. But he should write a book. <clears throat> An absolutely amazing man. So you can go back to the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com. You can go right back to those places, and you can download those for free. I didn't think I had a commercial last week. Two-hour show, no commercial. Anyhow, but you can go to drshawngreener.com or the ninjapastor.com and pull up messages. Okay, so here's what I changed to uh, in the middle of the evening last night, and I have to say uh, that this is rough. It's it's not all fleshed out real pretty, but that's how things are sometimes. Okay, the the prayer shawl. How many of you watched the uh, the service yesterday? Okay, so we got some people here that saw the service where Donald Trump, presidential candidate, GOP, uh, Republican candidate, Donald Trump went to Detroit, Michigan, uh, Impact Ministries, I think it's what it's called, Dr. Wayne Jackson. Uh, he is the head of the largest black-owned and operated uh, Christian broadcasting network anywhere in the world. Right there in Detroit, Michigan. He's got a great church, big church. Um, he, I did some research on him, and he happens to be a person who shares the Hebraic worldview, culture and worldview. Wow, yeah, he teaches his church that. They use many, many symbols. Uh, and they and they observe feasts and, and all the different things that, that we look at here and we think we're the only ones, wouldn't you know, a black church in Detroit, Michigan, really bad area of Detroit, Michigan. Of course, a lot of Detroit, Michigan, it's a really bad area, unfortunately. Um, they let loose with some serious praise and worship yesterday. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you, you guys know I, I was not on the Trump train. Uh, early on, Ted Cruz was my guy. He's no longer the candidate. So you know what? We have to take a hard look at what we have, Hillary. And by the way, some people say, um, I'm, I'm getting messages now. Hey, you're going to lose your 501c3. Guess what? We don't have a 501c3. And the government can, I don't know, what's a clean thing to say? Go pound sand. They can go pound sand if they think they're going to tell me what I'm going to preach about so they can get over that. Uh, anyway. FYI, nobody's ever, no pastor's ever been successfully prosecuted for preaching the gospel and, and the collision of faith and politics, God and country. We've got to stop being so afraid. We've got to stop being afraid of the government. We created this Leviathan, and only we can kill it. So I was watching this, and uh, I, if you just watch the live presentation, the feed. By the way, CNN and MSNBC, all them, they listen for a little bit, and they're like, eh, makes Donald look too good, so let's pull, let's pull away. And so they did. They cut their coverage, and they went to dissecting what he was going to say. Well, interestingly enough, I watched the whole thing, and then if you go to the Internet, you can see the, the praise and worship that's before the service, before Donald Trump got up to speak. Let me tell you something. That was some seriously anointed praise and worship. It was awesome. And I have to tell you, I, I, I was moved. I was really powerfully moved. There was a camera on Donald Trump. They kept uh, they kept cutting to him periodically, I think hoping to catch him like Michelle Obama, maybe maybe texting during the the uh, 
national anthem or pledge of allegiance. Maybe maybe she was just no, he wasn't doing that. He was totally engaged. Uh another dude's seventy years old, he's a white billionaire in an all black church in a really bad neighborhood, uh Secret Service compliment all the way around him. Everybody's checked, everybody's wanted, patted down, the whole business, thousands of people there. And this dude was rocking out and you could tell that he really liked what he was hearing. He liked the music. He liked the praise. He liked experiencing worship. Say what you want. Look, people going to I, – I take slings and arrows all the time. You say what you want. Um, the man has gone through quite a metamorphosis, not for political reasons. Look, I don't think this is the thing that kind of attracts me to him, is that even though I don't like some of the stuff he says or a lot of the things in the way that he says them, I sure like what he says, and I sure believe that he's not saying it for political expediency. He's saying it because it's what he believes. Now, we contrast that with, I don't remember, I don't recall 35 times with Hillary Clinton. Listen, she's nothing to snicker at. This woman is pure, unmitigated evil. She is a murderess. She is an absolute dangerous human being on the face of the planet. So we've got two very, very profound choices. I'm going to say this to you right now. Hillary Clinton says, whatever she feels she needs to say to whatever audience she needs to say, even if there is a diversion, a major diversion of message, of ideology, even if it's only separated by five minutes, she turns this way, says one thing, then turns around to the other group and says an entirely different thing. Here's what she banks on. She banks on the group she is speaking to to be too stupid to catch on, but to research. You see, if I were in the black community, which I practically am, most of my black friends say that I'm pretty much more black than they are. My buddy Eric, pray pray for him. We're uh, we're praying that he has uh, he has some good news coming up. We're just praying, praying, praying. So, and Chris Chris Kahlen, if you're listening, he is listening. He and his family. God bless you, brother. What faith? What faith? He and Eric are, are such profoundly faithful people, such men of God. I love them. Uh, so anyway. Here we go. We have a church. We have a, an all-black church. Uh, it's a rocking, anointed church. We have some some really unique things going on in that church. Hebraic worldview. Those of you, if you want to Google me, Google me, and you'll see that that's kind of my thing a little bit. Um, I'm really into that, and that's what I studied in, in seminary and school and, and all that. So this is this is kind of my thing. I'm nowhere near like a, a Dr. Skip Moen or a, or or a. a you know, Rabbi Gorelick or any of those types of people, but it's something I'm really passionate about, and it really resonated with me. Well, the black community, uh, there's there's really two sides to the black community. There's the side that says, hey, you're a sellout, you're an Uncle Tom, and all the other nicknames, not nicknames, mean names they want to throw at their brethren. So we have a guy by the name of Dr. Ben Carson, world's foremost, one of the world's foremost pediatric neurosurgeons ever to walk the planet thousands upon thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives, he has saved. He's pioneered surgery that uh, saved or extended the life of children in which there was no hope. I personally have a friend. He has my book. I have a picture of him with my book. Um, I personally have a friend. He saved her life 11 times, 11 times, from when she was a little child to an adult. Let me tell you something. That's some powerful stuff. But Ben Carson grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And you know what? Ben Carson grew up in a strict home. And his mama said, "Mm -mm. no, you're not going to go out and run those streets. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get in this house before dark, and you come home right after school, and you better get on your books. Because the only way you got out of here 
is through those books, through your mind. You can fight all you want because he was a little bit of a brawler. You can fight all you want, but guess what? All that's going to get you to do is bloodied and bruised and probably killed. But if you use your mind, if you study and you use your mind and you, you see out of here, you reach out of here, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get out of here. And you're going to look back one day at your childhood and you're going to say, I'm glad Mama made me study. I'm glad Mama never gave me any slack. I'm glad Mama was on my case. And she had eyes in the back of her head. She had everybody looking out for me. I'm glad she was tough on me. She said, one day you're going to do that. He went and toured his house with Donald Trump, house he grew up in. I'm going to tell you something. It was a powerful experience, not just for Ben Carson. It was a powerful experience for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was walking through there, and people were coming out, and this lady comes up to him. And, uh, you know, she at first I thought, ooh, Secret Service, I'm going to like somebody walking up like that. She came up kind of abrupt, and you could see, you know, I know from being an executive protection, you don't like people to approach too quickly. But he engaged her, he talked to her, and, and she said, yeah, I live here now. And, uh, oh, I don't give my kid any slack. She said, a, a champion lived here. A champion grew up here. You think I'm going to let you be less than a champion? She was referring to Dr. Ben Carson. But, you know, the black community, they kind of eat their own. You know, sadly, 82% Wilmington, Delaware, one of the murder capitals of the world. Um, sad, tragically, I mean, it's just a true thing. It's, it's, a, it's the deadliest small city in the country, and it's in the top five among cities in general per capita. Murdering. They just murder each other. I don't know why. Why are they doing it? I don't know why they do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Honestly, it makes no sense to me. It's over drugs. It's over power. It's over this. It's over that. It's not about homework. They're not arguing over who got the best A. Who got an A? I got an A+. plus. No, you didn't. She gave you an A. I saw your paper. It's all about stupid stuff. And you say, well, it's not stupid to us. Well, it is stupid. Somebody needs to go into the community and say, hey, folks, you got to straighten up. This isn't the way you act. This isn't how you live. This is how you die. This is a recipe for disaster for your life and generations after. Well, the Democrat Party for for eons has been the racist party, and they continue that. And I'm not oh, dyed-in-the-wool Republican. I am more of an independent than anything else, but I'm going to tell you, tell you this. If you look at the history, the racist party is the Democrat Party. The racist party was behind the KKK. The racist party fought the Equal Rights uh, Amendment. They fought it. They they vigorously fought that. Republicans pushed it through. Look, I know people by the name uh, of K. Carl Smith, and, and uh, K. Carl's a Frederick Douglass Republican. He runs that with my dear friend Lynn Roberts, and great people of God, amazing, amazing people. Great story, great story. So many great black leaders who have climbed out of poverty and climbed out of that mindset. And Bishop Wayne Jackson is one of those people. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had to, he had to dig for everything. He's the pastor of this church and bishop of a series of churches in this denomination. And I'm going to tell you something. I've never been to the church. I've been to Detroit uh, many times. It's one of literally one of my least favorite cities on the planet. Uh, 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 Yemen probably is my least favorite. And then Detroit. And you know that's bad when Sana'a, Yemen and Detroit are right next to each other and favorite, least favorite. They're vying. It's a terrible thing. Whole blocks, whole blocks in Detroit, Michigan are completely vacant, completely vacant. You know that the electric company does not turn on the power to the streetlights to over 30 sections of the city. They say, why? What would be the point? They just break them. They just break the lights. What would be the point? Streetlights come on, they break them. Fire hazard and all the different things. They say, we just shut the electric down to that grid. That's just what we have to do. 
the schools are terrible. Uh, the schools there are just absolutely horrible. Are there are there teachers who are trying? Let me tell you something. I've learned a lot. I wrote a book called Excellence Killed the Church: How Mediocrity is Destroying America. If you if you bought it through Amazon, please leave a review. If it's even if it's a bad review, I'm working on a revision of that book, and and it's going to be a, a much more intense book. I know if you have the book, a much more intense even than it is now. And I'm going to elaborate on a lot of things. But the fact of the matter is, in that book, I talk about the American education system. How we were really designed to work off of Scripture. We were designed to work off of Scripture. Scripture was designed by our founders to be implemented in the schools and godly values. Nobody was told you had to worship a certain way or follow a certain religion. Separation of church was an absolute lie. The Danbury Baptist wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson responded and said, hey, we're not going to force you into some a state denomination. No, there will always be a separation of church and state, but that's not in the Constitution anywhere. It's not in their declaration anywhere. And and those of you who believe that it is out in the listening audience, I know nobody in this room believes it. You've been you've been believing a lie. Nowhere nowhere in the Constitution. It's designed to protect us from the state. And we allow it. You know what? We allow it. September, Center for Self Governance, September uh twentieth, twenty first, twenty second and twenty third. By the way, twenty third is my birthday, I'd be fifty one. 50 wonderful, I like to refer to. Uh, so, so September 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, uh, Mark Herr, one of the greatest Americans I've ever known in my life, will be here. In fact, he'll be staying at my home. I uh, love having him there. I love that dude. Do we not love him? He's one of our favorites of all time. And so Mark will be here again. We're going to have a Delaware Constitution class one of those days. Go to my website, theninjapastor.com. There'll be information there, or even better, go to centerforselfgovernance.com. There's all different level classes. Sign up. It, we're at the precipice of failure. We're at the precipice of disaster. No kidding, folks. We're there. Program requirements scare a lot of people. Listen, we have a system in place now where we will help you. We will sit next to you. We will come alongside of you, and we will help you complete them. Now's the time. Now's the time. Anyway, remember that. So in, in this black church, uh, and people, by the way, people don't mind me saying black church. The people that go to the black church, they like referring to as the black church. Uh, I have several buddies who they're pastors of, of black churches. And uh, it's funny because the, uh, the one guy, a friend of mine, he married a white lady. And she tears up the organ. She plays the organ every week. And he'll say, you know, as a black church with a white organist, that's my lady over there, you know. Uh, it's it's totally okay. So I asked him. I said, "Hey, Keith, let me ask you this: Is it okay if I refer to black churches as black churches? Are they black churches?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, they're not all black. We got some purple. We like to put purple up. We like a lot of lights, flashing lights, and stuff like that. So it's not all black. But this is okay to do it. Anyway, in a black church in Detroit, Michigan, Donald Trump was given a uh, prayer shawl. Now we say prayer shawl, and and it looks kind of funny, you know. He's, He's, by the way, um, I know people that are on a security detail, and they were about four feet away. And uh, and there was people right behind and to the left of him that were watching his eyes. And they said this man was visibly moved by this. He was handed a Jewish study Bible. You all know I love the Complete Jewish Study Bible. And, and um, now there's a study Bible out, or Complete Jewish Bible now. I find out today there's a Complete Jewish Study Bible out, which, of course, I had to get. Um, sorry. I'll give you some money. Sorry. Amazon.com. I got it. Look, they don't advertise, but when you can get something you really, really want in about a minute and a half, boom, I'm up on it. Anyway, so I love that they gave gave him a Bible, gave him a Bible, 
and gave his wife a Bible and said, hey, we've got this Bible for you, but we have this prayer shawl. We want to anoint you. Uh, Bishop prayed. Bishop Jackson prayed over this, and I believe he did this. He's the kind of man who does what he says and says what he does. He's serious business. This man is a serious, serious man. He said, I carried this prayer shawl. Talit is the Hebrew name for it. I carried this prayer shawl with me everywhere I went. And every and I fasted over it and fasted and fasted and fasted. For those of you the uninitiated, that's when we don't eat on purpose. It's a purposeful not eating or eating certain things certain ways, but we're not consuming regular amounts of food. It's it's a it's a prayer thing. It's a it's a it's a, a going into the presence of God thing. I'll do a whole teaching on it sometime. But he but he fasted over this prayer shawl and prayed over it. For a long time. He was real serious about giving this to him. This wasn't some publicity stunt. And you know he was emotional when he gave that when he gave that shawl and those Bibles to Donald Trump. He was emotional, but you know what? Donald Trump was emotional because it was anointed. Yesterday, this happened in a black church in Detroit, Michigan. A 70-year-old white billionaire had a prayer shawl purchased from Israel, prayed over, anointed, and fasted over. Had it put on him by a black bishop in one of the worst cities in America. Millionaire white businessman. Candidate for president of the Republican Party. Man. I said to myself, boy, the left's going to have a hard time writing about this. What are they going to say bad about it? What could you say bad about it? But they have plenty to say bad about it. But that's not important. We know this comes from the Bible. I'm going to lay some truth down on you today. And uh, you may or may not like this truth, but it, it is the truth nonetheless. Numbers 15, that's a book in the Bible. Numbers 15, 36 through 41, I think. I might end up reading more than I'm supposed to. Adonai said to Moshe, which is Moses, speak to the people. Adonai, by the way, is the Lord. Speak to the people of Israel, instructing them to make through all their generations zitzit on the corners of their garments and to put with the zitzit on each corner a blue thread. It is to be a zitzit for you to look at and thereby remember all of Adonai's mitzvot. Okay, mitzvot, what is that? It's a, it, in its primary meaning, the Hebrew word mitzvah uh, means commandment. Um, plural, it's mitzvot, which is biblical the biblical command refers to precepts and commandments that were commanded so by God. Anyway, back to the passage. And obey them so you won't go around wherever your own heart and eyes lead you to prostitute yourselves. But it will help you remember and obey all my mitzvot and be holy for your God. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt in order to be your God. I am Adonai, your God. Wow. Okay. Okay. What's the purpose of this prayer shawl? It's to remind the wearer commandments of God. Man, so you're telling me a 70-year-old white billionaire was just draped with an anointed, prayed over and fasted over Dalit on national television by a black bishop in one of the worst cities in America. And you say, maybe that was uh, a, a publicity stunt on his part. I don't think so. Because all it did was bring down the wrath of the liberal left black community upon this dear pastor and his wife. Talk about a talented, Dr. Jackson is a phenomenally talented woman. Talented singing, talented playing the piano, talented writer. Talk about an anointed person. 
and now they're they're getting death threats and they're being followed and people are protesting and throwing stuff at their church. Go figure. I want you to hear this again. It is to be a deceit for you to look at and thereby remember all of Adonai's mitzvot, which is biblical commands, precepts and commandments commanded by God, and obey them so that you won't go around wherever your own heart and eyes lead you to prostitute yourself. But it will help you remember and obey all my mitzvot and be holy for your God. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt in order to be your God. I am Adonai, your God. So here we have this white 70-year-old billionaire being draped with this talit, this prayer shawl, and the purpose of that is to send him into his battles anointed. Oh, man. Don't joke around. Don't mess around with the covenant of God. Don't mess around with Scripture. He said, you do this, and you are going to be protected if you obey my commandments. Deuteronomy 22.12 in the Complete Jewish Bible. You are to make for yourself twisted cords, tzitzit, on the four corners of your garment and wrap around yourself. Listen, folks, I want you to understand, this isn't for nothing, by the way. This isn't always isn't that a pretty prayer shawl. Those of you who just got back from Israel, you know that there are certain things about these garments that are done the same way every time. Not because the Israeli people aren't creative people, because they're the most creative people on the planet. Amen? Amen. They are incredibly creative, but they also know that God made commands that they are to follow. You are to make for yourself twisted cords, the seat, and the, on the four corners of the garment you wrap around yourself. According to Israel and the Church Roadmap by Rebecca Brimmer and Bridges for Peace, they're centered over in um, Israel. They have a partnership with my seminary, and they're absolutely phenomenal. This book I can't more heartily recommend. In both these scriptures, the Israelites were commanded to wear fringes, tassels of twisted coils, or zitzit, on the corners of their garments, talit, to remind them of the commandments of the Lord. It goes deeper than that. The commandment was not to wear the talit. It had no significant value other than the cloak, than as a cloak in biblical times. The commandment was to wear the tassels, the zitzit, on the four corners for the Jew. There is numerical significance to almost everything, isn't there? You guys know. Numbers and the Jews vary. The Hebrew people, very numerical. This is especially true for the talit. In Hebrew, each letter of the alphabet, oh, this is going to blow your mind, folks, has a numerical value. So each word has a numerical value. Ready for this? For example, the number 26 is the numerical of Yahweh, the unpronounceable name of God, often translated as Lord. And the 13 is the numerical value of Echad, which is one. Therefore, according to the style of the Ashkenazi Jews, the Lord is one can be spelled out numerically on each tzitzit with four sets of windings. Seven plus eight plus 11 equals Yahweh. Plus 13 equals Echad. Each separated by a double knot for a total of 39 windings. Ready for this? Sephardic Jews use another formula. 10 plus 5 plus 6 plus 5 equals 26 to represent the name of God. 
The second observation is this. The fact that all four tzitzit are a symbol, come on now, you ready for this? Of the 613 laws of Moshe, 365 prohibitions. You know what those are. Those are the thou shalt not. And 248 affirmations. Those are the thou shalt. You add that up for me? You come to that? What number we have? 248 plus 365. Somebody let it rip. 248 plus 365. How many is that? 613. The numerical value of the word tzitzit is 600. Add the eight strands and five knots each tassel is made up of, and then you then have a grand total of 613. Each tassel has seven white strands, the number of perfections, surrounded by a blue strand depicting royalty or a reminder or a reminder or a reminder of God in heaven who watches over everything we experience. Man, don't tell me little things don't mean a lot. Little things mean everything. Listen, that fella, that bishop, took time to source that prayer shawl to ensure that it was authentic from Israel. He took time to get it into his possession early enough so that every day he could pray over it. He could pray over it. He could pray over it. He could fast over it. Carried it with him everywhere he went. He said, my tears of prayer for you, along with the oil that I anointed, combined with the Lord to provide a protection and a covenant and an anointing over you. You see, Donald Trump is fairly new in his faith, but every major pastor that has spent a considerable amount of time with him has said, something happened in that man's life. You think he faked him out? I I don't think so. I think God is working in Donald Trump's life. I think Donald Trump is being worked on by an holy God. You know what else I think? I think God is using all kinds of people to weave a beautiful, golden, sacred, scarlet thread of Christ's cross in the tomb in heaven. I think that's what's happening for such a time as this. I'm telling you right now, you can put all kinds of excuses you want into why this happened, why that man took the time. He knew, listen, Bishop knew he was going to be on television. He's got a televised ministry. He he owns, he he runs the largest black-owned and operated Christian network, television network in the world. You don't think he knows the value of optics? You don't think he knows the value of camera time? But he spent about seven minutes putting this prayer shawl, this talit with the tzitzit on each of the four corners. You don't think this man knows what it means. Let me read something else from you, or to you. It's free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. Mark 5, 22 through 34. There came to him a synagogue official, Yair by name, who fell at his feet and pleaded desperately with him. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Let me say this. So that, look, if you do this, I know that you will do this. If you come, she'll live. She's at the point of death. She'll live. If you come, she will live. I know all you need to do, Lord, is be there in her presence, and she will live. If you will it so, it will happen. 
Man, what kind of faith. Come to my house and save my child. Is there any greater plea than that? How many have children who have ever been sick? You have a grandchild who has been chronically and seriously ill for a long time. Look, y'all, we have prayed for our kids. You know that feeling. But this Yair, he's, he says, she's dying. Passionate. But he's faithful because he understands God doesn't break a covenant. He understood who Yeshua was. He knew he wasn't in the presence of some regular fella who could do cool things. Look, I love that, what is that, America's Got Talent we watch? There's magicians on there, good lands. These illusionists, they're so good. Man, they're good. I love watching that stuff. I try to figure it out. I go frame by frame by frame by frame. I can't ever figure it out. Sometimes I have figured it out. But, uh, but you know, it, it's amazing. When you've got a good one, man, it's really something else. It's fun to watch. Let me tell you something, folks. This wasn't a magic man. This was a healer. This was the healer with a capital H. He said, please, come and lay your hands on her. He knew all she receive a touch from the Father, from Yeshua. That's all you need. Your addiction, your hurt, your habit, your hang-up, your illness, your affliction, all you need is a touch from the King so that she will get will and live. He went with him, and a large crowd followed, pressing all around him. Folks, he was, in some respects, like a rock star traveling about. And folks crushed in on him. There was a huge crowd. And among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had been bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal under many physicians. She had spent her life savings. Yet instead of improving, she had only grown worse. She had heard about Yeshua. Let me ask you something. Have, has anyone in your circle that are outside this room or outside the churches you attend during the day, have they heard the word Yeshua come out of your mouth? Have they heard you speaking of your Lord? Well, then let me tell you something. If they haven't, get on it. Get on it because, listen, this woman had the issue of blood, we call it, in the church. She had the issue of blood because we don't want to say hemorrhaging. You know what I mean? That's, ooh. But uh, bottom line is it was bad news for her. She spent everything she had. She wanted help. She wanted help. She needed help or she was going to die. You see, the other thing, too, is, is when you're bleeding like that, if you're a woman in that culture, in the Middle East culture, guess what you can't do? You can't be around people. You weren't allowed to be around people. You had to be separate. And set apart. And guess what? If you bleed for 12 years, that's a whole lot of loneliness. So what did she do? She heard about Yeshua and she, she believed. She said, all I need to do, if the healer comes this way, all I need to do is touch his robe. And see, the English Bible, we call it robe and we don't call it what it is. But it's actually the talit, not just the talit, but the tzitzit at the four corners. I know the promise of God to his people. He said, if you do this. You wear this and you do it this way. It stands for the 613 commandments, and it stands for the promise that I gave you. Come on. This woman knew the story. She knew the history. She said to herself, if only I can get through this crowd. Now, this is a woman running around bleeding every, all over the place. She was a bleeder. And she said, if I just get close enough, the healer's going to come my way. If he passes my way, if I just reach out and touch that, I'm healed. I know that I am. 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 Because it's the promise of God. If I touch even his cloak, I will be healed. Instantly, the hemorrhaging stopped. 
She felt in her body that she had been healed from the disease. At the same time, Yeshua, aware that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His Talmudim or his disciples responded, You see the people pressing in on you, and yet you still ask, Who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, frightening, frightened and trembling because she knew what had happened to her, came. She came and she fell down in front of him and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your trust has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I have one thing to say about that. Listen, hesitant faith is no faith at all. I'm not saying that God chooses to heal every affliction as you bring it to him. Sometimes there's a lesson in it. I have no idea why I was in the crash I was in and why it so dramatically impacted the rest of my life. I can look at Carson Sellers and say, why, Lord, why? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why my good friend Chris and my good friend Eric got cancer, why you got cancer, why my buddy Robert has cancer. He's still doing great, by the way. Tomorrow's a big day. hope he gets his, gets his uh, catheter out. Great guy, strong guy. I say to myself, why do those people get that? I hate that. Boy, don't you, don't you hate all the suffering? We good, good friends here who have had cancer, good friends here who've had affliction, sorrows. You say why? Why is my son autistic? Why, why do I have to deal with these things? Why do I have to deal with addiction? Why do I have to deal with all these things? And you know what? Sometimes we fight against it. We fight against. It, we fight against. It, we fight against it. Man, if we only knew, we touch the garment, the corner that's deep, deep. We touch that, and we believe that it will heal us through the power of Yeshua. You are healed. Daughter, your trust has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let me tell you something. That was an embarrassing time for her. I'm running around spitting all over everything, aren't I? Time for her. It's embarrassing. Oh, yeah, I'm a bleeder, Yeshua. Savior of the world. She knew who he was. Right? You're not going to go to somebody that, that you, you don't believe can't heal you. What are you running around running to people who can't heal you? Why do you run to people and say, Father, I, you know, neighbor, I have this terrible affliction. Can you help me? Oh, sure, I can help you. I got this thing I can shake at you or whatever. You'd run around this, run around the tree 27 times or whatever, whatever you do. Just, you know, I love the thing. <laughs> I know poor. Poor Bryn's heard this a thousand times, the, and I'm not against this, but the, the apple cider vinegar, people people love to say, well, I tell them what's wrong with me. They say, well, you know what you need, the apple cider vinegar. Uh, it's Look, yes, those things are great. I love all that stuff. I'm kind of into that. But let me tell you something. If you don't believe that the one who created you can heal you, you're wasting your time. Better go and live it up. I used to think brownies could heal me. I lived like I lived like it too. I did. I live. I lived like brownies could heal me, right? Chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. You know, I was believing. I was wrong. First Samuel twenty four, twenty three, uh, twenty nine. From where David went up and lived. Come on, now this is some strong stuff. This is strong stuff. Some of you may never have heard this, and it's okay if you haven't. But I'm telling you, it's in the scripture. This is the real deal right here. This is the real. Deal from where David went up and lived in the strongholds of Ein Gedi. When Shaul returned from pursuing the Philistine, the Philistines, he was told that David was in the desert at Ein Gedi. Shaul took 3,000 men chosen from all of Israel and went searching for David and his men on the cliffs where the mountain goats are. Listen, where the mountain goats go, that's a tough place to go, right? Mountain goats, I don't even know how they do what they do. 
Yeah, I used to have a hunting channel uh, on my television until Verizon said I didn't need to have the outdoor channel anymore. 95% of the things I recorded were the outdoor channel. They said, mm, that's too Christian and wholesome. <laughs> You're out. And they got rid of it. Made me so mad. I loved it. I really miss it. Love that kind of stuff. Shaul took 3,000 men from all of Israel and went searching for David and his men on the cliffs where the mountain goats are. Near some sheep pens along the way was a cave, and Shaul went inside to relieve himself. You know what? People in the Bible, they did that. They relieved themselves. That, you know, what do you think? They had porta potties? They had caves and stuff. It happened that David and his men, I know, it's crazy you talk about that in church, but it has to happen. And his men were sitting in the recesses at the back of the cave. And David's men said to him, look, the day has come that Adonai told you about when he said to you, I will turn your enemy over to you and you will do to him whatever seems good to you. And then David stole over. In other words, he snuck over unobserved and cut off the corner of Shaul's cloak. Guess what that was? That was the talit. That was the zitzit, the corner that held one of the twisted strands. But after doing this, God will get a hold of you. David felt remorse over cutting Shaul's garment, the talit and the zitzit, or tassels. He said to his men, Adonai forbid that I should do such a thing to my Lord. Adonai is anointed and raised my hand against him after all. He is Adonai's anointed. By saying this, David stopped his men and would not let them do anything to Shaul. Shaul got up, left the cave, and went on his way. Then David got up, and he went outside the cave where, the, where he called after Shaul, My Lord, the king. When Shaul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated, prostrated himself. David said to Shaul, Why do you listen to people who say David is out to harm you? Here today you have seen with your own eyes that Adonai put you in my power there in the cave. Some of my men said I should kill you, but I spared you. I said I won't raise my hand against my Lord because he is Adonai's anointed. Moreover, my father looked. Here in my hand you see the corner of your cloak, the, the talit, the, the tzitzit, the right off the corner. By the fact that I only cut off a piece of your cloak and didn't kill you, you can see and understand that I have no plan to do harm or rebel and that I haven't sinned against you, even though you are seeking every chance you get to take my life. May Adonai judge between you and me, and may Adonai avenge me on you, but I will not lay a hand on you. As the old saying has it, out of the wicked comes the wickedness, but I will not lay a hand on you. The king of Israel has come, upon, come on a campaign. After whom? Whom are you chasing? A dead dog? A single flea? Adonai be the judge. Let him decide between you and me. May he take my side and rescue me from your power. After David had finished speaking to Shaul, Shaul said, Is that your voice, my son David? Then Shaul cried out and wept, and he said to David, You are more righteous than I, because you have treated me well. While I have been treating you badly, you have made it clear to me today that you have done me good. For when Adonai put my fate in your hand, you didn't kill me. A man finds his enemy and lets him go unharmed? He acknowledged that he was, in fact, David's enemy. May Adonai reward you well for what you did to me today. Now I am certain that you will indeed become king, and that the kingship of Israel will be established in your hands. So swear to me by Adonai that you will not kill my descendants after I die, or blot out my name from my father's family. David swore to Shaul, and Shaul went home. But David and his men went back up to the stronghold. So you see, Bishop Wayne Jackson then bestowed upon Donald Trump, a Jewish prayer shawl and a pair of Bibles saying, this is the Jewish Heritage Study Bible, and we have it especially for you, and we have one for your wife. Because when things go down, you can study the Word of God. When things seem like it's almost impossible, you will read Mark 9.23, if thou can believe all things possible. Then ABC News 
confirm that the shawl was actually from Israel. Why did I bring all this up? Why is this so important? Anybody know? I'm not going to give away a red truck this week, so you might, you might, right? It's already been given away. Say again. You want the white one? Well, we ain't getting that one. Let's not get crazy. I know the white one's mine, with the rumble, the one with the rumble. I like to hear it run. Sorry. So, so I hope that you have a little better image of of what actually happened in that church in Detroit. I hope you understand that this wasn't just some sort of passing thing. Oh, wouldn't this be nice to give this white 70-year-old Republican billionaire from New York prayer shawl? My friend tells me, and he travels with him, he travels with presidential candidate Trump. I said, what what does he do with all the stuff? Because he's given stuff everywhere he goes. Listen, folks, 35,000, 40,000, 50,000 people, he packs them in. With the number of seats they have, he fills. And then there's 10,000 more people outside. You say, why in the world would that happen? Well, he's a television star. Okay. I'm told by the left that, that it's just uneducated, middle-aged white men. I have two doctor degrees. I'm working on my third. I'm pretty relatively intelligent, pretty well-educated. I'm pretty sure that I don't fall in that category. Yeah, a little, yeah, maybe not. I'm pretty sure I at least qualify for that category. We've got some really smart people that are on the Trump train. I'm not on the Trump train, but he's our nominee, and I'll do everything I can to help him. This sermon has nothing to do with helping him get elected. We have about 50, 50 to 60,000 people listening on Sundays. We have about uh, two, two Wednesdays ago, we had 800 and some thousand people listening on Wednesday. I don't sway people. There are a lot bigger voices out there, but I'm going to tell you this. We better get real about what's real. We better stop talking trash and recognize that there are Supreme Court nominees that hang in the balance. And the woman who said 35 times, I can't remember, I don't recall, the woman who instructed Bill Clinton's aides to smash, I think, all but two of the uh, – of the, she didn't just have one unauthorized phone. She had 13 of them. You go get a hammer and smash them like that kills the dad. And then lost 11 of them. You want her as president? I don't think so. You say, well, Donald Trump, he's crude and he's crass. You're right. You are right. Guilty as charged. He'll tell you. Guilty as charged. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord is working on him. And the Father has put people around Donald Trump who are no joke. They're the real deal. But he gave the most unlikely of people. Everybody that knows Donald Trump, by the way, let me say two things. I hear all this stuff about he's a racist, he's a bigot, and he's a a sexist. I don't like all the stuff he said about his wife and his daughter. I think that's kind of, meh. But the fact of the matter is, people who work for him, who are women and who are minorities, all say, no better boss you could have. I've never been treated with greater respect. I've never been promoted. One of the highest level people in his organization is a black woman. You tell me. The father has put that shawl, that talit with the tzitzit on each of the four corners. He's put that around Donald Trump. Listen, folks, could you imagine a least, a, a lesser likely 
meeting, then a black bishop from Detroit, Michigan, to say, hey, I have a gift for you, presidential candidate Trump. It's from Israel. I prayed over it. I've taken it with me. I fasted over it. I've anointed it with oil. And now I'm going to put it over you and I'm going to pray over you. By the way, no microphones. He has to have the microphone cut out when he was praying over him. I think that's real powerful. That was a you, me, and God moment. We didn't have any right to have any part in that. If thou can believe, all things are possible. You see, this black bishop said to Donald Trump, times are going to get tough, billionaire. Lest you think that Bishop Jackson doesn't have a little bit of money. He's got a whole lot of money. He's been a very successful businessman as well as a, a pastor. Very successful. But he's not a billionaire. Here's him, and here's billionaire. Even if he has one-tenth of what he says he has, billionaire with a B, that's 11 zeros, folks. That's a, lot, that's a lot of money. And the fact of the matter is, you had some guy from the black community reach out to a billionaire New York businessman running for president who was reaching out to the black community and saying, hey, you know what? Those folks over there on the left, they've lied to you. They've told you time and time again, we got your back. You are not going to be successful if it isn't for us. I say those are the words of the devil. You, you throw rocks at me all you want. The Internet's probably going to blow me up here. I don't care, whatever. Do your worst. The left has said, community. They said, hey, without us, they're going to lynch you. The vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, Delaware's own, Joe Biden, said, hey, they're going to get the change out. You, they, want to, they want to bring back lynching. They'll stop at nothing, folks. They'll stop at nothing. You say, well, Donald Trump only went there because he wants votes. Isn't that what you're supposed to do as presidential candidate? You know you don't win if you don't get the votes. Do you guys know that how that works? If you don't vote for him, he doesn't win. He doesn't get the most votes, he doesn't win. Sorry to tell you, it's a math equation. I hate math. Um, I'm not even state certified competent in math. I have a doctorate degree that I saw fit to make sure there's as little of math in it as I can. I don't like math at all. Susan, if I'd had you as a math teacher, I might have been better off, but I didn't, I didn't have you as a math teacher. I had the meanest math teacher ever in seventh grade. She was mean. It happens. I blame it on that, but I don't think I was sharp enough to be good at math at any point in time, no matter who the teacher was. So how does he get to this church? Great question. Man, what a good question. There's a connection there between Detroit, Dr. Ben Carson, and Donald Trump. My son, Doyle, noticed this during the debates. How many of you remember when uh, Dr. Ben Carson was next to be introduced? And see, I've been behind the stages of these big debates, big nationally televised debates. I've been protecting people who are in these debates. And I can tell you, when you're backstage, you can't hear anything. So they said Dr. Carson's name, and he didn't, he didn't hear it. <coughs> he didn't have a handler saying, okay, they just said your name. Go ahead out. So he stood there. Well, next up, another guy goes out, walks past him, walks past him. Those other candidates, they didn't care. They said, hey, I don't care. I'm in the fight of my life here. The supposedly ignorant and crass guy, Donald Trump, is the only guy that stops and says, Dr. Carson, they've called your name. 
I won't go out until you go out. I want you to get your applause. Dr. Carson said afterwards, he went up to him and he said, I have to thank you for that. I, I, I don't know why you did it, but thank you for doing it. He says, I did it because you deserve respect. You deserve your moment. And so he walked out with him and then he, like he was introducing him. Like Ben Carson was the star. And he walked out. Listen, that meant a lot to me. I saw it happen. My son and I watched it. We were like, hmm, yeah, that, that's a moment right there. You know, I use a term a lot. If you go to executiveprotectionteam.com, you'll understand why I use this term. Um, sheepdog. Nobody, look, you know, a sheepdog, you know the fluffy sheepdogs with the floppy, you know, they're, they're, they look happy-go-lucky. Let a wolf come along. You'll watch that sheepdog change in a, in a second because those are his sheep. And you don't want to see what that sheepdog, that lovable sweet dog, oh, this is my nice dog. I love this dog. Give me a kiss. Here's you a biscuit. You do not want to see what that sheepdog does to the wolf. You don't want to see what the sheepdog does to the fox. You don't want to see what the sheepdog does to the bear. They get down and dirty real quick. Because they have to do the work of protecting the sheep. You know, and folks say all the time, you know, well, I like uh, for people to be a little more um, classy and elegant. There's a certain way of saying things. And I think that we need more of that. We need more decorum. Several of the candidates walked past Dr. Ben Carson. They didn't care that he didn't hear his name and was standing there. And international television, people all around the world watching the debates. One guy did. In his moment of compassion, he was also the sheepdog for his competitor. I'm going to say this about that. We don't like to see how the sheepdog or the sheepdogs protect the sheep. We have men and women overseas in harm's way. Welcome back to Kurt, uh, my nephew. He served honorably, United States Army. Uh, Rangers, uh, highly, highly decorated sniper, was involved in, in uh, three or four combat tours, full combat tours, lost a lot of his friends. He's, he's, uh, he's in civilian clothes now, and we so appreciate what he's done for our country. But you know what? I'll tell you this. We don't like to see what the sheepdog does to keep us safe. And we say, I wrote a poem, I'm Coming Home Ma. It's a long poem. I can't recite it now. It's just, it's really, really long. And in that, I talk about how the armchair generals, they send us over there to do a job, and then they tie our hands behind our back. And they say, no, no, you can't fight that way. You can't fight this way. Rules of engagement. But you know, war is a bloody, nasty, dirty thing. Let me tell you something, folks. It would have been so much easier for Donald Trump to stay on the sidelines and say, you know what? I'm going to run my business. I'm going to make more money. I'll just make friends with people. I'm gonna. If Donald Trump is listening, yeah, he's gonna be listening to the show. But if he is, if he's listening, because I know my buddy who protects him, he listens sometimes. Um, say this when when Hillary Clinton says, "Well, if I'm so bad, why'd you give me so much money? If I'm so bad, why'd you give me so much money?" This is the answer I would tell him to give because I wanted to see if you could be bought, and you were. You see, folks, the sheepdog 
has to get after some wolves. We've got wolves not just at our borders, folks. We've got wolves inside. We've got wolves inside the government. We've got Muslim Brotherhood inside our government. We've got Huma Abedin advising Hillary Clinton and aggressive ties to the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran. We've got Valerie Jarrett, an Iranian whose parents are virulent, virulent anti-American. We've got people in Homeland Security who are Muslims with direct ties to our enemies. We've got a movement called Black Lives Matter that is tracing across this country, stopping. We've got gangs running all over this country. We've got a porous border. We've got people telling us, no, you have to take all these people in. No matter what, it's the American way. No, it's not. Somebody doesn't know history. The enemy isn't just overseas anymore, folks. It's right here in this country. And we're standing idle and we're talking nice. And as Christians, we sit and we go, well, I don't know. I'm just going to pray for those folks. There's amazing stories of Israeli victories. Small number of Israeli soldiers, of Hebrew soldiers, and hundreds of the enemy, and they won. But you know the amazing thing is they didn't stop shooting. They didn't stop shooting. They just miraculously didn't run out of ammo. And all of a sudden, God saw fit to show the enemy a terrible, terrible enemy turned and ran. Despite being far, far outnumbered, just terribly outnumbered, But, you know, we got to get rough. It's going to get rougher. It's going to get tougher. And we need some folks that are willing to fight. We can't be soft anymore. I talk about it all the time on my Wednesday show. We cannot be soft anymore. We've got to stop talking about this like it isn't real. We've got to stop looking at Europe being overrun, not by Muslim immigrants. Oh, that's such a sad story. Oh, no, no, no. Those people travel far past and through lands of their brethren who will not accept them. The Saudis could, could handle two to four million refugees. They have accommodations for them. They said, don't come here. Too many terrorists in that group. We don't need that mess. So many countries, they say. Jordan is the same way. Uh, King Hussein, who uh, celebrated my son's birthday with him in Annapolis, um, him and his closest Secret Service friends. I have a really good friend, Tim, who is his lead protector when he's here in the United States. And uh, and he didn't even want to take him. He said, mm, there's too many terrorists in that bunch. We don't need any trouble like that. Yet Germany and France, England, all these places are taking them in. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, come on. Why is it the people on the left want to have tens of thousands of, of, of these people come to our country? Can't feed who we have. Why is it? Why is it? It's votes. It's all about votes. Make no mistake. It's all about votes. It's all about power. I say, this to, I say all that to say this. Listen, I'm going to have to get to the Daniel thing. We're just about out of time. I'm going to have to get to the Daniel thing next week. 
put on the whole armor of God. That shawl that was put around Donald Trump is armor. I asked my buddy, I said, what happens to all this? I've started to tell you this, and I got on something else. I asked my buddy, I said, hey, what happens to all that stuff he's given? He said, some of it, I'll be honest with you, it's it passed off to AIDS. He gets so many things, rooms full of stuff. It's passed off to AIDS, and, you know, they categorize it, they inventory it. If it's not something that Mr. Trump would really ever want, it's not something that's personalized just for him, then he, he finds ways to give it away, he auctions the things off, and different things he'll sign it and make it worth more, and then he'll auction it and give away the money. But he said there are things that he once treated as though they're precious. That's one of those things, that prayer shawl, and that, those Bibles are one of those things. I said all that to say this. Things don't happen for nothing. Little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. The the shawl that was put around him has to do with thousands of years of Jewish history. But not just Jewish history, folks. Because I'm going to tell you something. As Christians, as followers of the way, we cannot ex- extricate ourselves from our Hebrew heritage. We can try. You can try if you want to. King James Bible tried to do all that all with all its might. Calvin, Luther tried to tried to extricate themselves from any Jewish influence all they could, and there's been many since. Who? Martin Luther, one of the worst. I find it no small irony that the Lutheran Church, the evangelical free uh, church of the Lutherans, are the ones supporting Hamas and and uh, boycotting and all these different things and running flotillas and funding flotillas of guns and ammunition and fuel. It's crazy. It's just crazy. They're traitors, every single one. If you participate in anything to do with that, you got to go. As what is her name? Security, security. Who is that thing? Shaquita. What was her name? That's a funny thing. I watch it on the internet all the time. She's she's a girl. She's actually Hispanic, but she plays a black girl working in a. You've got you've got to see this. It's hilarious. I sit and listen and watch it, and I'd laugh my head off. Somebody got to call for security, and say they got to go. Listen, people say stuff that you know is patently false that you know is just so absolutely wrong, you've got to call them out on it. Be a sheepdog. Stop letting people, stop letting your fear of confrontation have you walk away from something knowing that you could have represented better. Don't be afraid. Donald Trump said something interesting to that black community. He's been saying it for weeks now. What have you got to lose by voting for me? Them folks over there, they haven't done a thing for you. I'm here to tell you, they haven't done anything for you. You you think that they are your friends. They're not your friends. They're laughing at you. They'll dole out just enough to keep you coming back to the trough, but they'll never never feed you a meal. Nobody's going to feed you a better meal than you can feed yourself if you really set your mind to it. Amen? It's the hard truth. But you know what? In America, we need to hear some hard truth. Look, I have counseled people uh far and wide, and I can tell you, I tell them when they sit down with me, do I not? I say, you're not going to get any fluffy words from me. You're not going to get a bunch of fluff. You're going to, it, it's going to be the real deal as I see it. If you want to get better, God reveals to me how you're to get better. 
Newsflash. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms. world's a rough place. Who here has lived longer than 80 years? Only one. Longer than 80 years, only one. Right? You don't get to 80 being stupid. You don't get to 80 not being tough. Crazy helps. We love our people over here. You'd be glad you didn't hear that. He said crazy helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. What are we? Are we 65? Are we 65 days? Slowly she turns. The the 80 plus year old's about to go regulate. Folks, if you were here, you could be getting to see this. I don't know if she's packing or not. We have the best armed audience in the world. So here's the thing, folks. What are we? 60 some days now from the election. Did you know that? About 60-some days from the election. 60-some days from the most important election in my entire life, in any of our lives. You guys understand that? Early voting starts a lot sooner. My friends, never a more important election than this one. Make sure you're registered. Let your voice be heard. Don't let people push you around. Don't let people tell you that that your voice doesn't matter because it does matter. Don't let anybody tell you that. That's for the weak-minded to fold under. Don't fold under that. Be strong. Be strong in your faith. Listen, we we have football coaches in Texas now who have lost their jobs. In Texas, who have lost their jobs because they participated in, didn't lead, participated in prayer after the game. We've got cheerleading, whole cheerleading groups in Texas who have been told, you leave those verses off of those little posters you do for those football players before the game. You put another verse on a football player's locker before the game, and we're going to end your program. And they did. You know why they did? Because, folks, I'm here to tell you, we've we've been wimps. We haven't been sheepdogs. We haven't been sheepdogs. We've been wimps. We've been quiet. We've been soft. And we've been run over by an enemy that honestly and truly, if we ever decided, you know what, I am the Lord's child. I'm a child of the king. You'll not push me one more time. If we ever decided that, the battle will be over quick. The question is, are we going to decide that? What are we going to do? Everybody in here is registered to vote. Everybody in here has friends. Everybody tell the story. Because I'm telling you right now, Hillary Clinton has no respect for your religious freedom whatsoever. She thinks people who are religious are fools. Her hero is uh, Margaret Sanger, whose whole purpose of Planned Parenthood was to kill as many black people as she possibly could. In closing, I want to say this. Thank you, by the way. Uh, Hello to our our folks in New York for, for listening, and I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to type anything out here. We are at the precipice. We're at the edge. Never in my life I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen a time where we were in greater peril, greater jeopardy than now. God gave us this country. Don't think for a moment that this wasn't a gift from God Almighty. And we have taken that gift and we've thrown it away. It's time for us to pick it up and dust it off and to be keepers of the republic, defenders of the republic, defenders of truth, Keepers of the truth. 
to be strong, to be courageous, to be sheepdogs. God bless you. Thank you for joining me tonight.